You know, when it took a bit of time for the hurricane hit Puerto Ricans to get federal relief to the places it was needed, the media started saying it was Trump's Katrina. I don't think they remember that Katrina was when they successfully blamed George W. Bush for the fact that despite the fact that Bush sent nearly $2 billion to Louisiana for civil works, Democrat politicians rerouted the money to their pork barrel projects so that New Orleans was left exposed to flooding when the hurricane hit. Before that, we heard that Trump's collusion in Russia's hacking the election was Trump's Watergate, in spite of the fact that Russia never hacked the election and Donald Trump never colluded with him. But other than that, it was exactly like Watergate. Now we're trying to starting to hear that the death of four soldiers in Niger is Trump's Benghazi. So you want to talk about Benghazi? We are going to talk about Benghazi. I think pretty soon we're going to start to hear that it's Trump's fall of Rome and that it's Trump's Garden of Eden leading to the fall of man. Also, Michael Knowles, the blazing star of Another Kingdom, will, and also the host of The Michael Knowles Show, will talk about the Trump's release of the JFK papers. We are finally going to find out if Rafael Cruz was born in Kenya. I hope so. <laughs> Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! All right, the Clavenless weekend has, in fact, come to an end. And for some of you, it was a little less Clavenless than usual. You know, this podcast, I have put up Another Kingdom. It's a serial story about a failed Hollywood director who walks through a door and finds himself a murder suspect in this bizarre fantasy world, starring and performed by... Michael Knowles. Who? Michael Knowles. He was also also our own host of the Michael Knowles Show here at the Daily Wire. And it was number 12 on the list of arts podcasts over the weekend. So people are uh, tuning in, and I hope you guys will tune in. And please subscribe on iTunes and leave a good review because it helps us very, very much. A lot of people uh, look at me at the Daily Wire and they say, what happened to you? You know, this is, a, you know, you used to work with such good people. That's because <laughs> we haven't figured out here to use ZipRecruiter.com. We have a very different system for hiring people uh, here at the Daily Wire. If you ask three times for spare change, we give you a job. That's it. That's the third time. That, wasn't that what it was? The third time was a charm. Yeah, right. The third time was a charm. Also, you do have to prove that you can contact Venus through the fillings in your teeth. But what you want to do if you want to hire good people is you have to get to ZipRecruiter.com because with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click so you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. But not only that, after you post it, ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different, because unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you, it finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Has anybody told 
<laughs> people who run this place, about that 80% get a quality candidate. It's the quality. See, that's the part where we've gone wrong. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We, we have plenty of people working here, just nobody knows what he's doing. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire, and you can find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates that they under, even, even in the copy, they underline qualified. That's because what that's what we're missing. You know who they're <laughs> right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free, which is pretty inexpensive when you think about it. It's free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire, and please put that in there because they keep our lights burning here, and we need them to know that we're sending them customers. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Don't let this happen to you. All right, here's, here's what happened. Last week was a disgrace. It was a media disgrace, okay? Donald Trump gets up, and he gives this presser on the White House lawn, and he talks to the press for 45 minutes, right? He talks to them about anything. He answers all their questions. It's the President of the United States. He just stands there. Most transparent president we've had in modern history. He's available. He looked good. And so uh, you know that the minute Trump looks good, they have to find a scandal. And what was the scandal? One of the reporters said to him, why haven't we heard from you about the four soldiers who died in Niger? And Trump took that to mean he got kind of defensive, and he took that to mean, why haven't you contacted the families of the people? I mean, I think the reporter was actually asking about the event. Why haven't you addressed these four soldiers' death? But Trump took it to mean this thing, and he said, you know, I, I don't always call, other presidents don't always call, but he didn't say always. He said other presidents, Obama and Bush didn't call. The press goes insane. I mean, because this, this whole thing is they always take, he's very inarticulate, and he's got a big mouth, and they always take whatever he says in the worst possible way. That is their trick. It is their one, it's like they're like a dog who knows one trick. They take what he says. If he says, oh, there were good people, you know, good people protesting the taking down of statues. Oh, he meant that there were good people in the neo-Nazis. So they do this to him all the time. So they now say, what a, hor a horrific lie. Somebody, one of the, uh, one of Obama's aides, this man is an animal. He's an animal, you know, he's just an animal. He's just saying these horrible things because of course Obama and, and President Bush did occasionally call people. Usually they send letters that, you know, there's nothing, a president cannot contact personally every Gold Star family. He would that he could, but he can't. All right. Now, this absolutely horrible woman, uh, this, uh, what's her name, Freder Frederica Wilson, Florida congresswoman, she comes out and she, she says she was listening in on a call that Trump then made to the parents of one of the soldiers who died in Niger, so David Johnson, and she said, oh, he was insensitive. He said he knew what he was signing up for. He knew what he, you know, as, as if as if Trump were saying, ah, well, you know, he knew what he was signing up for, there, which obviously what he was saying is every soldier who joins knows he's doing something dangerous, <clears throat> but when the worst comes, it's still as bad. And the press just runs with this horrible woman, spreading, taking, politicizing this condolence call that the president is making. Just It's just dreadful. I mean, what they did was just dreadful. And finally, Finally, and, and, and Trump at one point says, 
you know, why don't you ask John Kelly, his chief of staff and a general, also a gold star, star father, why don't you ask John Kelly if Obama called him when his son stepped on a mine and was killed in Afghanistan? And then suddenly the press is saying, he's politicizing the death of a soldier. You know, after they've spent all week politicizing this, this issue, they now accuse Donald Trump of politicizing. Then Kelly, who everybody kind of respects and likes, and he's just a, one of the more attractive members of the Bush team, he gets, <coughs> he gets up and he just, he slaps her and he slaps the press and he gives this very emotional uh, speech that just made the press look like garbage. Here's a little, just a little uh, excerpt. It stuns me that a member of Congress would have listened in on that conversation. Absolutely stuns me. And I thought at least that was sacred. You know, when I was a kid growing up, a lot of things were sacred in our country. Women were sacred and looked upon with great honor. That's obviously not the case anymore, as we see from recent cases. Life, the dignity of life, was sacred. That's gone. Religion, that seems to be gone as well. Gold Star families, I think that left in the convention over the summer. But I just thought the selfless devotion that brings a man or a woman to die on the battlefield, I just thought that that might be sacred. And when I listened to this woman and what she was saying and what she was doing on TV, the only thing I could do to collect my thoughts was to go and walk among the finest men and women on this earth. And you can always find them because they're in Arlington National Cemetery. So he basically pantsed the media. He pulled their pants down. They just look embarrassed. So remember when, when Trump attacked Kaiser Khan, Khan, the gold star parent at the Democrat convention? And that's what Kelly was referring to when he said gold star parents are no longer held sacred. So he was, he was taking a little slap at his boss there. But remember that? That was the worst. How could Donald Trump do this? And suddenly, John Kelly, also a gold star father, suddenly, that the New Yorker, they say he was using the language of a military coup. Tom Friedman, the big chief knucklehead at Knucklehead Row at the New York Times, a former newspaper, he says he sacrificed his moral authority. They're all, you know, they're, oh, and Lawrence O'Donnell called him racist for attacking Frederica Wilson. This woman's horrible. This is a horrible person. <laughs> you know, she's, I don't care if she's a congresswoman. She's just doing a terrible thing. But she was the worst. She came out and she begins to say, oh, this is a scandal that these soldiers have died. It is Trump's Benghazi. Listen to this. What he needs to be doing is watching because this is his Benghazi. See, La David was separate from the rest of the group for two days, 48 hours. Why? Was he kidnapped? Why did those soldiers not have armored trucks? Why did they have weapons that were less than Boko Haram and ISIS? Why were they not protected? How were they able, how were they able to be overrun by terrorists when they're there to train the army? They didn't go there to fight. This is Mr. Trump's Benghazi. And all of this about the widow is just a cover-up. Yeah, and why did the flag on the moon wave, you know? What the, what's going on with that, I want to know. And how come? How did that steel melt on the... You know, I mean, that's the, it's the voice of conspiracy. But what, what struck me about this is scandals become these catchwords. Watergate, Katrina, you know, Chappaquiddick, 
Benghazi. And of course, people forget what they were, what they actually were, because not only do we not follow every step of the news, but, but once a scandal gets started, people start throwing stuff at the wall to see if it sticks, and it gets very confusing. So I would like to go back for the next couple of minutes, and we'll bring on Michael Knowles after the break. Uh, if, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, you'll have to come over to thedailywire.com and listen to the rest. If you subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month, you could just watch the whole thing on The Daily Wire and get that drink in, the Knowles-ishness of Knowles, uh, right there without having to turn it. Plus, if you subscribe for a year for 100 lousy bucks, you get the Leftist Tears mug, which, as I can proceed, is going to fill up magically with Leftist Tears. Because I want to go back and look at Benghazi just so you know why this was a, a big fuss. If you remember, if you go back, John Stewart was making fun of Fox News during Benghazi for trying to make it a big deal. The New York Times was report it was reliably reporting the lies of the Obama administration while Fox News was breaking the actual story. Why is this a scandal? And it's not what you think, because a lot of the things that were sensational, that they didn't send help and all this stuff, some of this stuff was, yeah, they were right-wing talking points, but there's a reason this is a big big deal, okay? And, and let's compare that to what happened in Niger, which is four soldiers got killed. The Arab Spring, you remember the Arab Spring when suddenly all, because of what Bush did in Iraq, suddenly all these people were saying, hey, you know, maybe we should be free. And Barack Obama mishandled this from beginning to end. But the most important place he mishandled it was in Libya, okay? In the, this, I'm going to read this from the New York Times, because this is actually, because what the New York Times always does is they always eventually get the truth. They always eventually write these stories, but they do it when it doesn't matter anymore, and they sometimes bury it. They put it in their magazine or something. In the throes of the Arab Spring, Colonel Momar el-Qaddafi was facing a furious revolt by Libyans determined to end his quixotic 42-year rule. And let me stop here for a minute and say that Qaddafi was a terrible guy. He was a dictator. He was a terrorist, uh, supported terrorism. But... But when Bush scared him so badly when he went into Iraq that he gave up his weapons program, his weapons of mass destruction, and he became a sort of ally, you know, one of those guys who's not as bad as he used to be. So he he became sort of our pet crazy man. All right. So the dictator's forces were approaching Benghazi, the crucible of the rebellion, and threatening a bloodbath. France and Britain were urging the United States to join them in a military campaign to halt Colonel Gaddafi's troops. And now the Arab League, too, was calling for action, but President Obama didn't want to go. He was deeply wary of another military venture in a Muslim country. <clears throat> Most of his senior advisors were telling him to, st to stay out, but he sent Mrs. Clinton to listen to a guy named Jibril, the leader of the Libyan opposition, and she was won over. Mrs. Clinton was won over, and she said, the, the opposition leader said all the right things about supporting democracy and inclusivity and building Libyan institutions and all this stuff, and she came back and she convinced Obama, okay? Uh, Mr. Obama's defense secretary, Robert M. Gates, would later say that in a 51 to 49 decision, it was Mr. Mrs. Clinton's support that put the ambivalent president over the line. So Secretary of State Hillary Clinton sold to Obama that we should bomb the uh, Qaddafi's forces and help him to get overthrown, okay? The consequences would be far more far-reaching than anyone imagined. Well, let's, let's say, so he was overthrown and he was killed. And remember, Hillary, in this famous clip, it's only a couple of seconds, this is cut number seven, bragged about her role in getting rid of Gaddafi. Okay, we, we came, we, we saw he died, okay, ha, 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 ha. Unfortunately, 
things didn't go as she must have told the president they were going to go after all the talk about democracy and everything was going to be great. Libya became a failed state. It descended into absolute chaos. Terrorists came rushing in. ISIS came rushing in. And all of the weapons that Gaddafi had stored went out into the world, including to Niger. So they were helping all those neighboring countries. They were helping the terrorists in all those neighboring countries. Obama later admitted to Chris Wallace that this was the worst mistake of his administration. Worst mistake? Probably failing to plan for the day after uh, what I think was the right thing to do in uh, intervening in Libya. Okay, so remember this, right? Hillary Clinton goes in and she says, let's do this. Obama does it. And then Libya goes down the drain and becomes part of this this failed area now, because remember, Obama also pulled out of Iraq too soon and let the, you know ISIS thrive there. I mean, Obama blew this. He blew the Arab Spring. There's just no question about it. And you can say, well, Bush shouldn't have gone in there in the first place. Fine. But Bush was gone and Obama was in. All right. Things get worse and worse in Libya. Right? This, the terrorism is building. And our ambassador, uh, Chris Stevens, is... Have I got his name right? I got to. I want to make sure I don't. Uh, yeah, um, is is repeatedly calling. Uh, this is Ambassador Chris Stevens is repeatedly calling for more security for our outposts, especially in Benghazi. Later, after this was all over, CBS would report that that they had the documents that showed time and time again he was calling for reinforcements. So that's the CBS uh, coverage which is 12. Ambassador Stevens personally pressed for strength and security in a series of cables to State Department headquarters in Washington. On July 9, 2012, Stevens sent a request for extension of temporary duty personnel. That refers to a 16-man military temporary security team with expertise in counterterrorism. They were set to leave in August, but Stevens asked to keep them through mid-September. On August 2nd, six weeks before he died, Stevens requested protective detailed bodyguard positions, saying the added guards will fill the vacuum of security personnel currently at post who will be leaving within the next month and will not be replaced. He called the security condition in Libya unpredictable, volatile, and violent. It's not known what happened to that request. On August 8th, as the special security teams left Libya, another cable from Stevens says a series of violent incidents has dominated the political landscape and caused them targeted and discriminate attacks. Then, on September 11th, the day the ambassador lost his life, he sent this Benghazi weekly report. It expressed Libyans' growing frustration with police and security forces who were too weak to keep the country secure. Okay, now all these calls for help went unanswered, right? So now we've got Hillary's, as Secretary of State, a major, major, major miscalculation. Okay, let's call it a miscalculation. Obama's malfeasance, he says, the worst mistake of my presidency, by Obama's own admission, was letting this state descend into terrorism and chaos and just become a failed state. Later on, when they started to investigate this, so help me, this is true, Hillary said, oh, when Christie—I <laughs> can't believe this. this is a true story. Hillary said, oh, when Chris Stevens was 
begging us for security help. He was kidding. That hilarious Chris. That one thing we loved about Chris was his sense of humor. Just play this clip. This is clip number 13. This is uh, Congresswoman Susan Brooks questioning Hillary. Why didn't you answer the call for help? He emailed to a reporting officer who we know was in Benghazi still. He wrote, interesting, has security improved in Benghazi in recent weeks? Also curious what you guys decided to do regarding future of the compound. He was in Washington, D.C., or back in the States during that time. And in December, Ambassador Stevens, your soon-to-be ambassador, didn't know what was going to happen with the compound in Benghazi. How is that possible? Well, Congresswoman, one of the great attributes that Chris Stevens had was a really good sense of humor. And I just see him smiling as he's typing this um, because it is clearly in response to uh, the email down below talking about picking up a few, quote, fire sale items from the Brits. Um, Those fire sale items, by the way, fire sale items are barricades. That's right. They are additional requests for security for the compound. That's what that fire sale was because we weren't providing enough physical security for the compound. Funny old Chris, you know, Chris, he was always calling for help and we would just laugh and laugh and laugh. I mean, the the, the corruption and dishonesty bleed, it comes off, she, it comes off her like a fog. She reminds me of Pigpen in the Peanuts cartoon, always had that cloud of dust surrounding her. She's just a cloud of corruption surrounding her. And then the tragic, horrible Benghazi attack occurred, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I got a break from YouTube and Facebook. Come on over to thedailywire.com. You can listen to the rest of the show while you're there. Subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month, and you can watch the whole thing right on the site. Okay, so then the attack occurs, terrible, terrible attack. The uh, compound is breached. The security guys, former Navy SEALs, are fighting courageously without any help, and nobody's sending any help. Now, obviously on the right, we on the right made a lot of, uh, you know, hay out of the fact that they didn't send help. And I'm not going to go into that. It's a separate scandal, you know, that that there wasn't, they weren't ready, and they didn't send the help. But I don't think it was any kind of a, you know, a a plot or anything like that. It was just mal, it was just, it was just incompetence. It was an incompetent administration. And I I don't know that for a fact. I just don't know the answers there. So I'm going to leave it. But the fact is, no help came. Our ambassador, uh, first ambassador to be killed since 1979, was killed. One of the staffers, these two incredible Incredibly courageous uh, security guys who were former Navy SEALs were killed, uh, and, and Stevens was apparently tortured, dragged out and tortured and killed. Uh, no, no one came, no help came. All right. So now, um, Obama has got this problem, right? Because Obama is running for re-election. This is in the lead-up up to the his election campaign, and he has been making one promise, one campaign claim over and over and over again, which is that he is winning the war on terror, and al-Qaeda, as he keeps saying over and over again, is decimated. Now, he didn't mean decimated. That means like one out of every ten of them was killed. But he, what he meant was they had been destroyed. Here's a quick montage, uh, number 18. There should be no doubt. Today, America is stronger and al-Qaeda is on the path to defeat. We've decimated al-Qaeda's leadership. Al-Qaeda is on the path to defeat, and bin Laden is dead. We've decimated al-Qaeda central, 
We have eliminated Osama bin Laden. Al-Qaeda is much weaker than it was when I came into office. Osama bin Laden is dead and General Motors is alive. The war in Afghanistan is coming to a close. Al-Qaeda is on the path to defeat. Osama bin Laden is dead. So that was the campaign rhetoric, all right? And he's running for re-election, and, it, you know, people didn't know. Remember, the polls were close. You know, we, we were kind of hoping that Mitt Romney was doing better than he was, but still, the polls the polls looked a lot closer than, um, than it turned out to be. And this is his claim, that he has been a good war president, when, in fact, the chickens of what he himself called his greatest mistake have come home to roost in Benghazi in a terrorist attack. So what does he do? There was a couple of days before in Cairo, there had been some unrest that apparently was sparked by some stupid video some guy had put out on YouTube. And so he uses this as an excuse. Now, the New York Times is reporting this is the cause, that this video is the cause of the Benghazi thing. Only at Fox News are they saying, ah, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not what happened. This is not what happened. But but they're, and they're making everybody on the left is making fun of Fox News. You remember, I'm sure, that during this campaign, Mitt Romney, that Mitt Romney said to Obama, "You didn't say it was a terrorist attack. Basically, you lied. You said it was this video." And Candy Crowley of CNN breaks into the debate to say, "No, no, no. The president would never do such a thing as that." Listen to this. Because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act of terror. Get the transfer. It, 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 he did, in, in fact, sir. So let me let me call it an act of Can terror. Can you say that a little louder, Candy? He, he did call it an act of terror. It did as well take. It did as well uh, take uh, two weeks or so uh, for the whole idea of there being a riot out there about this tape uh, to come out. You're correct this, about that. The administration. The administration indicated that this was a, a reaction to a, to a video and was a spontaneous reaction. It, did. it took them a long time to say this was a terrorist act by a terrorist group. Okay, that's CNN. Have you seen CNN's new ad? <laughs> let's, let's play CNN. Let's pause for just a minute here and play CNN's new ad. This is an apple. Some people might try to tell you that it's a banana. They might scream banana, banana, banana over and over and over again. They might put banana in all caps. You might even start to believe that this is a banana. But it's not. This is an apple. Yeah, okay, so there was CNN's Candy Crowley telling Mitt Romney that the apple was a banana. Let's take a look at the banana. Here's the the Obama administration. That's the stupidest ad I ever saw. This is the, the Obama administration. Let's see their official claims, and this is Obama first, and then his uh, aptly named spokesman, Jay Carney, number 10. Since our founding, the United States has been a nation that respects all faiths. We reject all efforts to denigrate the religious beliefs of others. But there is absolutely no justification to this type of senseless violence. None. The world must stand together to unequivocally reject these brutal acts. This is a fairly volatile situation, and it is in response not to United States policy, uh, not to, obviously, the administration, not to the American people. It is in response to a video, a film, that 
we have judged to be reprehensible and disgusting. Uh, that in no way justifies any violent reaction to it. Uh, but this is not a case of uh, protests directed at the United States uh, writ large or at U.S. policy. This is in response to a video that is offensive. All right. And here is Obama on the 18th of September, right? So that's seven days later on the David Letterman show. This is the most, the clearest statement that he made that I can find on the David Letterman show. Here's what happened. You had a video that was released by somebody who lives here, sort of a shadowy character, who is an extremely offensive video directed at the uh, at Muhammad and Islam. Making fun of the Prophet making, Muhammad. Making fun of the Prophet Muhammad. And so it, this caused great offense uh, in much of the Muslim world. Uh, but what also happened was extremists and terrorists uh, used this as an excuse uh, to uh, attack uh, a variety of our embassies, including the one, uh, the consulate in, in Libya. Okay, so remember the real story. The real story is Hillary Clinton gave Obama bad advice. Obama took that advice after uh, to get rid of Gaddafi. After getting rid of Gaddafi, he did nothing to stop the state of the country of Libya from failing as a failed state and becoming a terrorist stronghold. Again and again, Chris Stevens called for help. No help was given called for more security. No security was given. This was a major, major failure of this administration during his campaign for re-election. So they lied and lied and lied. They sent Susan Rice, the ambassador uh, to the UN, out on five different talk shows. She lied and lied and lied. But the worst was Hillary standing in front of the caskets of the dead and making this statement. We've seen rage and violence directed at American embassies over an awful internet video that we had nothing to do with. It is hard for the American people to make sense of that because it is senseless and it is totally unacceptable. And, and I just want to mention that the video maker, a Coptic Christian uh, named the Nakula Nakula, who was kind of, he was kind of a kooky guy, put up a video and all this stuff about Mohammed and all this. He was arrested on Parole, for parole violation, he's now, the last I heard from him, he was homeless, he's received death threats. I mean, they just destroyed this guy's life for putting up a video that had nothing to do with their failure, their malfeasance. So finally, let us answer, I mean, the most famous cut of all, of course, is that when Hillary was finally pressured, was finally put on the, on the hot seat, was finally accused of the lie she had told and told and told, and this was her reaction. And we no. were misled that there was supposedly protests and then something sprang out of that, an assault sprang out of that. And that was easily but ascertained I, that that was not the fact. But, but, and the American know, people could have known that within days, and, and they, they didn't know that. With all due respect, the fact is we had four dead Americans. Was it because of a protest or was it because of guys out for a walk one night who decided they'd go kill some Americans? What difference at this point does it make? Here's the difference. Here's the difference. This was a major policy failure that was part of a major policy failure. It was a major policy failure that was part of a major uh, failure of vision and ideas in the Obama administration connected to the fact that they could not bring themselves to admit that 
Islamism was a philosophy that grew out of this religion and had nothing to do with us, our bad acts, that this was not America's fault. I mean, this was a failure, and they lied and lied about it to get their guy reelected. It was a corrupt administration. This was a corrupt woman. Every time the news media says, boo-hoo-hoo, we got Donald Trump instead of Hillary Clinton, that's who we voted against. That's who Trump beat. He beat this woman who just lied and lied over the bodies of the dead, and Obama, too, was just as guilty as she was. He's a little bit better at hiding his fingerprints, but he's just the same. So what about Niger? What's happening in Niger? Niger is basically a stable state, although a lot of, the, of Gaddafi's weapons went into Niger as well as other places. Niger is not a, a terrorist hotbed right now, but there is terrorist activity there, Boko Haram, and we have guys in there. We have a thousand, a, a fairly large number of guys in there. They don't drive around in ar armored vehicles, to answer Frederica Wilson's question, because nobody drives around there in armored. That's just an advertisement saying, please kill me. You know, they drive around in trucks. These are places with bad roads. What's her name? Rachel Maddow had some theory that because of Trump's travel ban, that some military pulled out of some place like 750 miles away from where these guys were killed. That's that's like a, a day and a half away. There were, that was not help that was coming, like in Benghazi. Th this has nothing to do with it. Are there questions? Absolutely. There are open questions. Should we be there? Can we be there? All these things. Lindsey Graham said it best, though. Lindsey Graham was answering uh, Chuck Todd, and this is uh, cut number three. Um, just uh, why we have guys all over the place, because as Chuck Todd says, we have now that now that finally Trump's guys have defeated ISIS, finally have annihilated ISIS by changing their strategy. Now all these guys are going off into the various countries and we're chasing them down. And this is Lindsey Graham telling it like it is. It's a generational struggle. If you don't think it's a generational struggle, you don't understand the war. If you think it's limited to the Mideast, you don't understand the, the theology. It is spreading throughout the world, particularly Africa. And if you think it's going to be done in a short period of time, or if you can't, if you take off means of how you fight this war, there's an authorization to use force tomorrow that limited the war based on time, geography, and means. I would vote against it because the war is now morphing. It's going to places uh, that we haven't heard of before to the American people. We're going to follow the terrorists wherever they go. We're going to use whatever means we need to with partners to destroy them. And whatever time it takes, it takes. And most people are not ready for that, but I am. So f basically, because Trump and Mattis have deprived the Islamic State of the Islamic State that they had set up because they have chased them out, and now they're basically operating out of a trench, because of that, these terrorists are spreading all over the world. We know this, knew this was going to happen. This is not a state we're fighting. It's an ideology. We're going to have to kill them where they go. This has nothing to do with Benghazi. Benghazi is about the fact is about the fact that Obama blew the Arab Spring and Hillary Clinton helped him cover it up so he would get reelected. That's what Benghazi is about. When you have a scandal like that, bring it to me and I'll admit it's Trump's Benghazi. Until then, until then, all you've got is four heroes dead and a, a press that has lost its ever-loving mind. Let's bring on Michael Knowles. Yeah. <gasps> Wait, aren't you the star of Another Kingdom? Stop I, it. Okay, you're going to make me blush if I weren't so dark. Oh, you must get this all the time. You must. This must happen to you all the time. Walking know. up and down Sunset Boulevard, Hollywood Boulevard this week in a bathrobe. It's all I can't. I got to 
get the people off of me. Absolutely. We were a bestseller on the arts uh, list uh, this week. I was I was like absolutely stunned. It's been great. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really stunned because not to just directly insult all of our friends and family and audience, <laughs> but uh, conservatives usually are philistines on the culture. Yeah. They don't you know We've they, we don't read even myself. I don't read a lot of fiction books. I don't read nearly as much as I should, and I just read history or philosophy or whatever. And uh, the the story's doing great. We've got hundreds of reviews up there, all, mostly five-star. Some jerk like Rachel Maddow or something gave us one <laughs> bad review. Um, but er, yeah, but They're it, almost it, all five stars. They've been all five stars, and, literally with one exception. I think it's the guy who wrote the Democrat blank book. I think it's the one who wrote I think it's just that he's got a grudge. He's, he's going to get us. But the, and the... the uh, uh, reviews of your performance are spectacular. I'm telling you, stick with me, kid. I will make you a star. It's it like, is. <laughs> it is really funny when people ask me, like, "How do you get into Hollywood?" I, you know, I've auditioned. I've yeah. done these indie movies and plays in New York and L.A. But no, not, not that. What you need to do is go directly for conservative media, <laughs> go to right wing punditry, and that's how you break into show we're, business. We're killing them. We're killing them. An another kingdom. Subscribe on iTunes, right? That's what we need people subscribe to do. Subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, and if you can, leave a review. Yeah. That does really help. And and it's it's great because Hollywood is just in rubble. It, every one of, one of these awful uh, edifices that the left has just inhabited and destroyed is laying on the ground. And now conservative art and culture gets to come in, and uh, and they can't stop us anymore. We're picking them off like the flies they are. That's right. <laughs> so I've been I've been complaining about the press, and not not just the press. I mean the Democrats and all this trying to con create this conspiracy, but. Donald Trump is promising to release, or saying he will release, the last of the JFK papers, another left-wing conspiracy that is not what people think it is. Is that, is that We're fair We're finally, to say? we have three days, October 26th is the deadline, we're going to learn the truth. This is based on a 1992 law that sought to quell some of these conspiracy theories. Obviously, we know what happened. The Warren Commission concluded it was Ted Cruz's father. He was the second gunman. I don't think there are any questions anymore. We'll learn exactly. it when it comes out. Exactly. It was, it was that the Kenya connection is a little shady yeah. still, but yeah. there are. You know, the, the day after the assassination, there was a front page story on the New York Times which blamed, quote, this was by James Reston. It blamed, quote, the streak of violence in the American character. It said the violence of the extremists on the right, right? They're talking about this climate of hate. And uh, we know what happened. A communist killed an anti-communist. That's basically it, right? I mean, he was a, he was a staunch, JFK was a staunch Cold Warrior. He was. I wish we don't have the clip, but I mean, there were actually too many clips to play. Yeah. We know that he said that uh, they'll bear any burden, pay any price for liberty. He goes to Berlin and openly mocks the Soviet Union and says, "We stand with you. We stand for liberty." He might have called himself a jelly donut. I'll leave that to the linguists. <laughs> and uh, he predicted this guy was so, by modern standards, conservative and Republican. He called for tax cuts to stimulate the economy right. and to add more revenue to the government. So he actually predicted the Laffer curve and Reaganomics about two decades before they it's, went into practice. It is amazing. And when you listen to his speeches today, he sounds like he sounds like Donald Trump. I mean, a lot classier than Donald Trump. He had a lot, maybe he was a lot more articulate than Trump. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I saw the Access Hollywood tape, but I've read some of those FBI um, files on JFK. Yeah, he was not well-behaved. That not is a well -behaved true. Guy. No, not a well-behaved. But, and, and Lee Harvey Oswald, 
was a communist. Right? Here's what we know about Oswald. This is, <laughs> it, it, when you read the, it's almost amazing that any conspiracy theory could crop up. We know that Oswald went in October 1959, he went to the Soviet Union, he asked to become a Soviet citizen. He went to the embassy there, he begged to become a citizen. Every Soviet guide that he talked to, he, be, he said he wanted to renounce his American citizenship, become a Soviet. It, it became a major headline, actually, because a, a former U.S. Marine tried to defect to the Soviet Union. We know that he uh, he attempted to kill U.S. Major General Edwin Walker. Uh, we know this from his his widow. We uh, we know that he did that because Walker was a member of the John Birch Society. He was an outspoken anti-communist. He was on, clearly on the right. And we know that weeks before the JFK assassination, Oswald took a six-day trip to Mexico, where he met with Soviet and uh, Cuban. Uh, officials, and uh, we, we know that the CIA had him under pretty significant surveillance. FBI documents suggest he spoke openly about wanting to kill Kennedy. <laughs> That's what we know. <laughs> and I mean, it, it's a not it, it, the the whole conspiracy is invented out of whole. It's kind of like it's kind of like the um, the truther stuff about mm -hmm. the nine eleven. Basically, it's because people couldn't accept the fact that Islam was really Islamism was really as bad as it was. They couldn't accept that the communism that they had basically supported. I mean, because remember, a lot of these left wing journalists were communists before they kind of caught on, and yep. they were still mollycoddling the Soviet Union and saying that anybody who saw that there were communists in the state department was a McCarthyite and all this stuff. They got caught, basically. They got caught. Their, their hero president was killed by one of the guys they kind of thought were okay. It's like the principle of cognitive dissonance. They, you know, when, when there's a discrepancy between your thought and your behavior, between the facts that you're presented and the behavior that you want to enact, you have to just convince yourself that the facts are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're there. They're obviously openly somewhat supportive of communism or supportive of Islam. They don't want to acknowledge a problem. So they have to convince themselves of these absurd stories, uh, stories that just simply can't hold together because of the sheer number of people that would have had to have been involved. Uh, you know, uh, there's the famous Oliver Stone movie about JFK. Yeah. What's, what's the story? And a communist kills an, an ardent anti-communist. There's the plot right there. Or there is a conspiracy with LBJ and the forces in Texas, and I don't—I'm not sure which forces, but something and scary. It was, it was because it was—it was a bunch of right wingers because. Kennedy was going to pull out of Vietnam, right. which Kennedy was never going to do. That was just not going to happen. He was sending more people into Vietnam. Right. I mean, he's largely responsible for us getting into the quagmire in that in that respect. Anyway, good reporting. Uh, you know, I know you have the Michael Knowles show. It's a little thing you do on the side when you're not doing Another Kingdom, but uh, <laughs> that's coming up. What are you talking about today? Pretty so, so today we're going to be talking all about Bo Bergdahl. We've ah, got some one. excellent clips of, uh, you know, we've obviously got our Trumpy clips, but then we have, people are forgetting this. It's so easy, just like Benghazi, just like you were talking about. Afterward, it's easy to gloss over everything and forget about the, uh, the terrible decisions that were made at the time that had real effects. So we're going to talk about how Barack Obama's awful decisions uh, basically compromised the lives of American soldiers, put a lot of enemies back on the battlefield, and, and, and because it was intentional. I, I always knew you were a racist. So you just don't like him because <laughs> he was black. All right, Michael Knowles, it's great talking to you. As always, I'll talk to you later. All right, see ya. Bye. Our crappy culture.
do you get that music? What is that? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's crappy culture music. So let me just start off talking about, uh, briefly about Megyn Kelly, okay? I mean, Megyn Kelly, some people hated her. You know, she was never a reliable right-winger. She was always... Un- but, but she had a reputation for being a hard, sardonic interviewer. I have seen her take people apart on her show. She was a tough, you know... Uh, you know, she was a tough interview and all this stuff. She gets hired by the mainstream media. What is what is today? CBS or NBC or where is she? I think it's NBC. Okay, NBC. She gets twenty three million dollars. Is yeah? Yeah. Okay, NBC. She gets twenty three million dollar contract, which is more than most of their big people get, right? And she goes out, and her ratings are absolutely dying. Her she is just dying because they won't wouldn't let her do the stuff that she was doing basically and they tried to kind of make her more mainstream. Now she has been reduced to having more pop, popular <laughs> figures. This is a woman I do not know how to pronounce her name because I never watched this kind of stuff. It's Hoda Kotb is that Hoda Kotb? Copy? Copy. Copy. Okay. She comes on her show and this is the segment where they're trying to make Megan more likable. You know what I like to do to feel good? I mean, you know when you, you when you when you want to be in a really that too. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do know. We do we know the answer. <laughs> the answer is if it's not the kids, it's not the booze. Sometimes it's music. Uh, you are a big music person. <laughs> sad, right? That's sad. But, I, but it is indicative of a bigger point that has to do with our crappy culture. You know, because Brett Stevens went over to the New York Times. He hated Trump so much that he basically voted for Hillary Clinton, left the Wall Street Journal, went over to the New York Times. And now he is not being kind of like twisted around. And every time he says something that the New York Times readers don't like, it becomes a big scandal. If he doesn't sign on 100% to global warming hysteria and all this stuff. John Nolte, our pal, the Noltonator, over, who is now formerly of the Daily Wire, but is now back at uh, Breitbart, he wrote a piece about the NFL and about how uh, the NFL came to believe that this false reality that the left creates, that the country is left-wing. This is, this is what Nolte says. He says, thanks to George W. Bush's terrible second term, two unbelievably awful Republican opponents in John McCain and Mitt Romney, not to mention the charisma and impressive political skills as the most left-wing senator in the country, Barry Obama won two national elections and did so by impressive margins. The problem is that America's so-called smart people misread these victories, and by smart people I am, of course, sarcastically referring to Democrats, the imbecilic Republican establishment, and the corrupt national media, all of whom deluded themselves into believing that Obama's victory meant that the country had not just moved to the left, but to the far left. I have seen this again and again in publishing, in TV. They 
will not speak to the Trump voter because they believe he is an anomaly. He, they believe he is a dying beast. They believe he's an idiot. They believe he's a fool. And I'm not talking about the guy who says everything Trump does is great or anything like that. I'm talking about the guy who says, you know, I, I said I wrote a piece this weekend where I said, you know, I, I don't like Trump, Trump's personal style. I don't like the bullying. I don't like the big mouthism, but. But when I look at him, the great judicial nominations, the taming of the regulatory state, the restoration of the rule of law at the border, leaving the Paris Accord, the annihilation of ISIS, you know, the guy's not doing a bad job. He's getting a lot of stuff done, and if he starts to get some laws passed, that is going to help as well. This illusion that you have to take Megyn Kelly off Fox News but not let her be Fox News, that the things that the Fox News does so successfully can't survive, what they think is it can't survive out of the Fox News bubble. But they don't understand. Fox News is not in the bubble. They're in the bubble. Most people want to see people stand, see their sports figures stand for the national anthem, for instance. Most people don't want to hear George Clooney tell them who they should have voted for as a Midwestern mechanic because George Clooney doesn't know about the life of a Midwestern mechanic. And a Midwestern mechanic may make better decisions about what he needs politically than George Clooney. These guys are living so in the bubble that they think it's the world, and they destroy people like Megyn Kelly who reach for the golden apple of mainstream approval and find that they are not going to be allowed to be who they are because they, the uh, mainstream people do not believe in them. And they destroy them. They destroy them. It's just not worth it. We let them live in the bubble. The bubble will get smaller and smaller and smaller. We, here at The Daily Wire, are the future. <laughs> I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Rob Long is going to be with us tomorrow. Don't miss it. And stay tuned for Michael Knowles. I'll see you tomorrow.